Welcome to the Word of God with Father Reed Henserling. And this week we'll be looking at the week of First Lent, or the first Sunday in Lent. Now, how did we get there? Well, remember, we started with Advent, four Sundays in Advent at the end of the last year, in December. Sometimes Advent begins the last week of November, and followed by the birth of Christ, which is the nativity of our Lord Jesus Christ, that's the technical name, Christmas Day. And then we had a Sunday after Christmas, and that was followed by Epiphany, beginning on January the 6th with the coming of the Magi in Matthew chapter 2. We ended Epiphany last week, the last Sunday after the Epiphany. Now, on the Wednesday of that week, we celebrate the Wednesday is called Ash Wednesday, Ash Wednesday. So the last Sunday after the Epiphany, that particular week as we prepare for Lent, the previous Wednesday is called Ash Wednesday, and it's a special services, series of services. Most churches have a couple of services where we celebrate the fact that we are beginning the season of Lent. So we begin with ashes, we begin with repentance, we, re we begin with the word of the Lord coming to us to amend our lives and get our lives ready for the season of Lent. Now, the season of Lent is the most holy season of the church year, culminating with Holy Week, which is Palm Sunday through Easter Sunday, where we celebrate Christ's resurrection on Easter Sunday, and on Palm Sunday, we celebrate his entry into Jerusalem. The reason he needed to go to Jerusalem was he was going to die. So he had to be at the place that God wanted him to be in order to die. There are five Sundays in Lent. Five Sundays in Lent. And so we are going to kick off the first Sunday in Lent. And of course, following will be the second Sunday of Lent, third Sunday of Lent, fourth Sunday of Lent, fifth Sunday of Lent, and then, of course, we'll move into Holy Week. And each of those days will have special, uh, will be special holy days. Um, and they will be very special as we compare, uh, begin to prepare ourselves for Jesus' death on Good Friday and his resurrection. All right. In the week of First Lent, or the first Sunday in Lent, we'll be looking at three major scriptures from Deuteronomy, beginning in chapter 8, which is a wonderful chapter through Deuteronomy 11, 28, Hebrews chapter 2 through chapter 5, and the book of John. So now we're going to be looking at the book of John. Throughout the church calendar year, we either choose Matthew or Mark or Luke, but when we are in an uh, important season, we are in John, and we are beginning at the second chapter, and this coming week, we'll be looking at chapter 2 through chapter 4, and all these scriptures are just fabulous. So, for most people, and I hope for your sake, Lent is a very holy time. It's a time of preparation. It's a time of repentance. It's a time of prayer. It's a time of self-reflection. It's a time of study, being quiet, slowing down, and preparing yourselves for the great day when Christ is crucified, when he's buried, and when he is resurrected. All right, let's begin with Deuteronomy chapter 8 through 11. Now remember, Deuteronomy 
is a wonderful book and an important book of the Bible. It's the fifth book of the Old Testament, and it concerns God's rules and laws for the people of Israel before they go into Israel. So Moses has delivered them, Exodus, from the wrath of the Egyptians. They have wandered for 40 years because of their failure to trust the Lord until all that generation passed away except Joshua and Caleb. And they are banked now on the eastern side of Israel, what is now known as Israel, and they're going to go west under the leadership of Joshua because Moses cannot enter. And while they are getting ready to go into Israel, God tells them the way he wants them to live. Now, the reason that, he, that, that Deuteronomy is such a great book to read is God says to us, here's how I want you to live. Let me give you a couple of examples. Look at chapter 8, which we read about on Sunday and Monday. The whole commandment, verse 1, that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply, go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. So what I'm comparing, uh, commanding you to do today, I'm going to tell you what I want you to do, but you must be careful to do it. Now, if you do it, you will live and multiply. I will bless you. Things will go well for you. And you shall remember the Lord the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. Remember, they were in the wilderness 40 years. And that he might humble you, testing you, to know that what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So God tests us, but he doesn't tempt us. He humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And then he begins to tell them all the ways, he, Moses, begins to tell the people of Israel all the ways that God has blessed them. Now, that's an important concept in Christianity. How has God blessed you? And how grateful are you that he has blessed you that way? And now, how can you give of yourself and ourselves as a community to bless the Lord in thanksgiving for all the good things he's done? Now, verse 11. Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God, by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest, verse 12, when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, verse 14, then your heart will be lifted up and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then he recounts all the great things. So we are not to forget. We are to remember him. We are to know his laws. We are to teach his laws. We are to obey his laws. Now remember, you can't obey what you don't know. So it's incumbent upon us to know what God has said so that we will do it. Chapter 9, which is on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday of this week, do not say in your heart, verse 4, after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you, it is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me to possess this land. Now, God has promised this land. Remember, he promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He promised it first to Abraham, and then to Isaac, and then to Jacob. 
and then the 12 sons, and they are going to possess the land that the Lord has given them. And when they move in and take the land, which is what Joshua is going to be about, they are to do what God says, and God will bless them and honor them. Now, remember, the whole idea is for us to get to the Messiah who is going to save us. In order to get there, we have to have a people and we have to have land. And we cannot be inundated and infiltrated by foreign groups of people and foreign nations. So there's a purity of Israel that's very, very important. Verse 6. Know that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stubborn people. Basically, he says to them, guess what? I'm not doing this because you're better than everybody else. I'm doing this because I have divinely chosen you. So don't think that you're better than somebody else. Of course, that's a great lesson for us, right? Humility, don't look down on people, discrimination, prejudice. We're not better than anyone else. The Lord has blessed us. Now, he has given them the two tablets of stone, the, tab the tablets of the covenant, verse 11. And then we have the golden calf at the second half of chapter 9, which is real blemish on Israel. And so please read that very closely and how they made an idol and God was not glorified in any way by that. In chapter 10, he talks about the new tablets of the new tablets of stone that he has given the people. And he tells them in verse 12 to circumcise their heart, to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. That's a great scripture. Chapter 10, verse 12 and 13, keep the commandments, keep the statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Now, why am I giving you these commandments? I'm giving you these commandments because they're good for you. I'm giving you these commandments because you will be blessed if you do them. And then finally, chapter 11 on Saturday, verses 18 to 28. You shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and soul. This is verse 18 of chapter 11. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children. So here's what I want you to do with my word. I want you to put them in your heart and put them in your soul and teach your children. I want you to bind them on your hand. I don't want you to forget that what I've said. Any way that you can get that in you, that's what you want to do. Write them on the doorposts of your house. Write them on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give to them, as long as the heavens are above the earth. For if you will be careful to do all this commandment that I command you to do, love the Lord your God, walk in his ways, hold fast him, then the Lord's going to drive out the nations. He's going to bless you. So these are beautiful texts. Read and enjoy the book of Deuteronomy as you begin your first week in Lent. Now, the book of Hebrews is not the easiest book in the Bible. In fact, it's one of the harder ones. We don't know who wrote Hebrews. Some people actually think Paul did. Some people think Apollos wrote it or others, but we don't know for sure. But whoever wrote it has a very profound understanding of the Old Testament and a very profound understanding of Christ and a very deep spirituality. It is an extraordinary book. It's just not an easy book because it requires 
that the individual understand and know the Old Testament very well. And so we're looking at chapters 2, 3, 4, and 5. And he's talking about how great Jesus is and the significance of Jesus and comparing him to other gods and showing how he is the founder of our salvation in verse 10. He who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. Since therefore the children share in the flesh and blood, verse 14, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, this is Jesus, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong bondage. So Jesus' death and resurrection, he just explains, the, the writer explains to us the importance of that. So again, when you're reading Deuteronomy, unlike Deuteronomy, uh, when you're reading Deuteronomy, it's, it's about the law, it's about the way you're supposed to live, the language is simple or simpler, and uh, there's a degree of wisdom behind it. But when you're reading Moses, uh, reading Moses you're reading Hebrews, and you're reading uh, that text, read it slowly. Be thoughtful in it. It's a little bit more difficult, but I think you'll enjoy it very much as you read. In chapter 3, verses 12 to 19, take care, brothers, verse 12, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. There are several places in Hebrews where he talks about falling away from the Lord. Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today. It is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now, that's great. That's great information for all of us. Do not be hardened by sin. Do not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Do not harden your hearts against the Lord. In chapter 4, verses 1 through 10, we talk about the Sabbath rest. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as I just said in verse 7. Again, he refers to Joshua in verse 8. In verse 11, let us strive, therefore, to enter that rest so that no one may fall away by the sort of disobedience. Enter into God's rest. Enter into God's Sabbath. Rest in the Lord. Do not rest in yourself. Do not rest in your own skills and abilities. Rest in what the Lord has given you and has said to you. And then he says, I love verse 12. This would be the scripture on Friday. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of whom to whom we must give account. We are going to give an account to God, no doubt about it. You want to be prepared to do that. And of course, I love the word of God. So it's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts right to your heart. So you always want to be aware of that and you want to be reading it so that it really touches your heart in a very powerful way. In chapter 5, he talks about the high priest and the significance of the high priest and who Aaron was. But then he says in verse 5, So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him, who said to him, You are my son, Today I have begotten you. You are a priest forever in the order, after the order of Melchizedek. And being, verse 9, being made perfect, 
he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, there's a lot here. Again, another Genesis rever uh, reference in the Old Testament. Aaron, priesthood, the high priest, the order of Melchizedek. Suffice to say that the ministry of Jesus is immensely powerful and more powerful than anyone that's come before him. And so the writer to the Hebrews is trying to show us how significant Jesus is. Well, there's several beautiful verses and sections from the Gospel of John. John chapter 2, we have the very famous wedding at Cana. And what I love about the wedding of Cana is do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. And they went, uh, and they took it. Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk it freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. The first of these signs Jesus did at Canaan, Galilee, he manifested his glory. His disciples believed in him. They have no more wine. What do you want me to do? Verse 5, his mother says, do whatever he tells you. Now, if you and I just did whatever he tells you, we'd be in good shape, right? And so Jesus is glorified. He manifests his glory in verse 11, which I just read. His disciples believed in him. He does this miracle by turning water into wine as a miracle to show in John's gospel the sign of who he is. Some people don't believe just outright. They need some evidence. Well, this is pointing to some of the evidence that Christ would give them. On Tuesday, we are looking at the Jesus cleansing the temple. Jesus cleansing the temple. This section is at the end of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but at the beginning of John. And then the famous conversation with Nicodemus on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday, we look at the great third chapter of John. Very famous. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, verse 5, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, verse 6, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. You must be born again. And then we have verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believed in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God did not, verse 17, a lot of people don't repeat 17, send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So he's talking about salvation. He's talking to a very famous person, Nicodemus, who comes to him at night and asks a question, has supposedly a religious person who knows a lot, and Jesus tells him what it means to be born again. One must be born from above. It, in other words, it needs to be a supernatural action of God. Supernatural. You can't naturally save yourself. God has to come from above to save you. John 22 to 36, this is John the Baptist's understanding of who Christ is, and I love verse 31 and 36. Verse 31, he who comes from above is above all. He is of the earth, belongs to the earth, and speaks in an earthly way. 
He who comes from heaven is above all. So he's from heaven and I'm of the earth. He's from heaven, I'm going to listen to him. 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life because the wrath of God remains on him. So if you have the Son, you have life, zoe, eternal life. If you do not, then God's wrath remains on you. Finally, the last section is chapter 4, the meeting of the woman of Samaria. The Samaritans and the Jews did not get along well, but Jesus loved this woman and was very kind to her. Jesus says to her in 14, this is the water at the well, drawing water. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So he identifies himself as the person that's going to provide eternal life, which he already shared with Nicodemus in chapter 3. And he's sharing with this woman, being basically a nobody, what the kingdom of God is all about. Now that scripture will end on verse 26. And he identifies himself. In 24, he says, God is spirit, and those who worship him was worshiping in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him in verse 25, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her in verse 26, I who speak to you am he. I am the Messiah. I'm the one that you'll be looking for. I'm the one that is going to save people from their sins. I'm the one that was born of the Virgin Mary. I'm the one that is the incarnate Son of God. So again, one wonderful way to begin the first week in Lent with Hebrews and with Deuteronomy and with John. And so I, have, I pray that you'll have a blessed and a holy Lent, and we will together enjoy that by looking at the Word of God. God bless you.